0: or other signs of infection liver or kidney problems are or plan to become pregnant or are breastfeeding common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts infections tiredness nausea sore mouth abnormalities in liver blood tests diarrhea hair thinning or loss vomiting rash and loss of appetite
3: when you buy kroger brand products you feel like you're winning that's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices in fact
4: From grandmothers who whispered in their baby girl ear to fathers on dimly lit street corners instructing young soldiers to always keep their eyes open. You be queen. You were fired. You were passed through centuries on the hands of your daughters. They called you wisdom. Proverbs on the backs of diamond-eyed schoolchildren who grew into hymnals recited by amethyst-holding urban philosophers who recited neighborhood commandments out of the windows of restored El Camino chariots to keep the warmth in their blood. Be wise, be smart, be black opal, brown quartz, bloodstone and prayer be every form of gem. See, king told scribe, scribe told son, son told wife, Wife told her daughter, and daughter told the ancestors, and the ancestors told me that you would come to give wisdom to thousands. They said you would come, dropping gems. Dropping gems.
5: Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Dropping Gems podcast. I'm Debbie Brown. This is your soft place to land where we bring beautiful conversations about higher consciousness to life and we ground them in our everyday life. Today's show, we are exploring new territory. And I feel so mm, lucky to be able to talk about The things that we're going to talk about today, it's our first time exploring conversations around addiction and recovery. Today's special guest is a dear friend, Stephen Washington. Stephen is the author of the book, Recovering You, Your Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction. As a former professional dancer who performed on Broadway in Disney's The Lion King, his love of movement inspired him to become the highly acclaimed Qigong and Pilates teacher that he is today. Stephen lives a joyful life of recovery and is passionate about helping others as they navigate towards health and happiness. He offers Qigong, Pilates, dance, meditation, laughter, and more through his website. Visit him online, stephenwashingtonexperience.com, and I'm so excited to dive into all the things. Welcome to the show, my friend, Stephen Washington.
6: Thank you. So good to be here. Wonderful to see you, Debbie.
5: Always amazing to see you. I'm so excited <laughs> to share you with my audience because I've had the privilege of having such a nourishing, beautiful, expansive conversations with you one-on-one where, you know, you and I have both been able to talk about some of the real complexities and nuance of this healing journey. And especially as it relates to coming into an awakened spiritual path with a background as a person of color or having other complex layers that add on top of that to what this journey is. Um, and so it's really exciting to share you. Your book that is out is Recovering You, Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction. One, it is just a radical, gorgeous vision to Mm -hmm. see if I can be quite honest, a man of color who's standing in his healing and standing in specifically healing, overcoming addiction and to use a modality like Qigong you know, this sacred, sacred ancient work in medicine, it's just, it's a visual that we don't often get to see, you know, being able to be invited into spaces that are not necessarily organic to all of us, depending on our past. It's just really incredibly powerful. So I'm so happy to have you here and to dive into the fullness of this book.
6: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here to talk to you about this book. Um I love everything that you just said and and it is not lost on me just the importance of representation.
5: Yeah, representation and and that divine translation, right? Because it's like
7: yeah.
5: I think on on in a way it's like on one end visually it's the representation but then also knowing that you are diving into this work through your divine translation of your lived experience in a way that is going to free others. It's just like ah uh,
6: Yeah. And I feel as though when it comes to recovery and healing around addiction, no matter what it is, not everyone who is going to listen to this podcast or uh, read my book will have the experience of having a problem with alcohol or drugs like I did, but they Mm -hmm. might have another thing that they are dependent upon that is impacting the quality of their life. And so hearing stories from other people. Uh, where we share our experience, strength, and hope, then we're able to just tap into the feelings and tap into the energy and, don't get, and not get caught up in the details
7: because mm. the
6: details don't matter so much. What matters more is the, is the, the feelings, the feelings and that type of energy and, and having someone provide some sort of an example or roadmap to go from a place of um, of not having or feeling like you don't have any options or any tools to being shown a way that can take you to a different place in your life where you can recover parts of yourself that you've lost.
7: mm, mm.
5: Would you share a bit about your road to recovery and how you use the practices that you really unpack in this book to connect to that deepest, highest version of you?
6: Uh, sure. I try to be as concise as I can be telling my story. <laughs> but
5: I'm you know, not asking I, for concise.
6: <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, then. Well, here's the deal. I come from a small family, just my father, my mom, my sister, and I. And my parents got together when, in like the sixties, right? In the sixties in Connecticut, they were part of that migration from the South to the North. Ah. Having fled the South for um, the Jim Crow laws and, and, um, and all the racism and, and segregation that was happening there. So when they, when they got to Connecticut, they, they were carrying a lot of trauma with them already, of course. Mm. Um, and they met in high school and they fell in love and they built this family. And, and it was an interesting family to grow up in because I don't think anyone would identify what they were experiencing as trauma. But mm-hmm. I feel as though they were trying to navigate it the best way that they could. And, and substances and addiction was a part of it. Um, it's all over my family. So mm-hmm. I grew up in this family uh, where, where addiction was in the air, uh, in the space that we were in. And, and you can imagine how challenging that is for a very sensitive child.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a very sensitive child. Um, and as I was growing up, uh, dealing with that sensitivity, dealing with the fact that I was gay, didn't have words for it at such a young age, but I just knew that I was different. And I knew that if I were m- myself, that that would be a problem. Mm. So stuffing that down, right? And the thing that brought me joy at a very young age was movement. I would dance around the living room. I would put Grace Jones on, Stevie Wonder, and just dance around the living room and, and transport myself.
7: Mm. And
6: from there, I found this connection to art and eventually I became a dancer and I studied theater in high school and eventually found my way to New York and, and studied dance at NYU. And during that time I came out and part of my coming out was this exploration of, of, of alcohol and drugs. I Had my first drink actually when I was 16 years old, I was in Germany with my dance teacher Felicity Foote, she was a a German woman who had a dance school in Greenwich, Connecticut. And she uh, gave me a scholarship. And one summer, she took me to Europe. Never been out of the country before.
7: Wow! She took
6: her students to Europe. We performed all around Germany in these little villages, uh, dancing. It was amazing. The very last night, we had a party at a pub. I had my first full beer. Before that, I had a sip here and there. My father used to give me beer when I was a baby. When I was um, cranky, he would give me a beer, give me sips of it. Uh, But I had my first beer and I loved how it made me feel. I love how it transformed me. Uh, I I no longer felt shy. Mm -hmm. I no longer felt so prickly.
7: Mm.
6: because of my sensitivities. Mm
7: -hmm. I felt
6: sexy, which is important to a 15, 16-year-old boy, right? Mm -hmm. I felt attractive. Uh, I felt funny, all those things. And I literally chased that same feeling until the day I stopped drinking at at age like 30 or 31 years old. Wow. So, um, yeah, moved to New York, eventually became a professional dancer, sort of danced um, on the stages of the Metropolitan Opera and City Opera and eventually ended up in Disney's The Lion King. Uh, And around that time when I started doing that show was when I crossed that invisible line where my drinking and my drug use wasn't just for fun. It wasn't a social thing. I did it because I had to do it. Mm. I uh, I couldn't wait to get home at the end of the day to drink by myself to do drugs by myself. And I got to the point where I would look at myself in the mirror and and, and and couldn't recognize, didn't recognize who I saw and was so desperate for something to change, but I didn't have the wherewithal to, to make the change. Mm. Um, and wow. cause you know, alcohol and drugs were my solution. They were my solution. and And I feel as though my own experience as far as my relationship to, to substances was that I had a lot of trauma that I was trying to, to manage. I didn't mm-hmm. always know that that's what I was doing, but I was trying right. to manage it. And the using that I did, uh, was a way for me to self-soothe and mm-hmm. self-regulate. And I did that for as long as I could until it didn't work anymore. So by the time I found recovery, I I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I had already discovered that it was taking a lot of energy for me to live the life that I was living. And it was draining the, the life force energy from me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had thought that my using was unhealthy and that my, my relationship to alcohol and drugs was unhealthy. and. And and I thought about it many times, but like I said, I didn't have the, I didn't know what else to do about it. I was powerless over it all uh, until I found a friend of mine who had long term recovery, and he he wore it really well. He was a beautiful example of recovery and sobriety. And if it weren't for the fact that he wore it so well, and I was so desperate. Um, I probably wouldn't have stopped. I probably wouldn't have tried something new, but literally getting sober was like the last house on the block Mm. on a dead end street.
7: (laughs) Mm. So, Mm.
6: so my, my journey began in 2001 and, and it was great. 12 step recovery helped me tremendously. Therapy helped me tremendously. I had already been, like I said, movement was always a big part of my life. And I was doing energy work without knowing I was doing energy work really with mm-hmm, my dancing. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I was 10 years sober, about 10 years sober, that the practices that I teach in the book came into my life. Wow. I wrote this book because in part, I wanted to share all the tools that I've learned over the last 20 years yes. to help people help themselves. And I'm also, I also wrote the book because I wanted to create something that I wish I had when mm-hmm. I was first getting into recovery, trying to get sober, and trying to to sort all this out for myself, and uh, and the book is filled with movement, mindful movement like the qigong, but also other tools that people can use to to manage their emotions. Mm-hmm.
7: I talk a lot about fear
6: in the book, and shame, and uh, isolation. But I also talk about how important community is and gratitude and faith. There's a lot of writing in the book. I think writing is an important part of healing. Uh, I learned how healing writing can be when I was doing 12 step work, because there's something when you take pen to paper Mm. and you express your thoughts and what's really going on for you it changes something there's there's more clarity more yes. insight that, that come about and i wanted to provide an opportunity for people to do that and i talked to a lot of my friends who are in recovery as well and i and i have a few conversations that i share with with people in the book
7: mm-hmm. because i
6: wanted to create a sense of community there's no way in the world that i could have that i could have entered this this path of recovery by myself because if i was going to do it by myself i would have done it before i actually did it <laughs>
7: yeah yeah okay
5: wow um i just want to say i the way that you so generously described the process of how one even awakens the first step to the craving that eventually turns into an addiction. That was incredibly powerful because I think that is a piece that so many, and I know, I feel in my bones that there are so many connections being made to those listening right now.
7: <clears throat>
5: you know, I think one of the things that, that confuses people the most about addiction, it's there is so much shame. There is so much blame placed on the person that becomes addicted. Right. There is this from outside sources very often because of the way it disrupts the lives of people around them, potentially. And there isn't enough. There is beginning to be thankfully um, now that we are really in the era of understanding trauma uh, in a mainstream way. But very little attention is paid to, well, what feels so good about it? You know, and I think people often think, oh, you just want to party or you're just trying to, you know, you just like being presenting like, you know, maybe even like a a jerk sometimes or like this. Or you're like there's people speak to the effects of how it feels when they're in the presence of someone who's already deeply in an addiction. Mm -hmm. But the understanding of why it feels so good that you keep doing it to become addicted is so important. You know, it is it is that you don't know you're escaping. You are actually being awakened to these new facets of you that you can't experience on a day-to-day basis without that to begin with. And it's like, wow, the way that you broke that down, it's a revelation, I think. You know, it really yeah. is because for so long, so many, especially around those ages of like a, you know, adolescence um, or young adulthood, you have no idea what trauma is. You have no comparisons. You don't understand the nuance of what it is to be in family or be enmeshed within your family unit. So you're just noticing new freedoms that are starting to come online inside of you and new ways that you're able to be who you know you are without those other pressures. And very often it's it's that experience of we are held in this container of our nervous system, and for those of us that the nervous system is not healthy and nourished, it suppresses you. it limits your possibility of who you can be and how you can behave, and you know what you can accomplish and so I see how alcohol and drugs can feel really beautiful at first. I really get
7: that
6: oh absolutely, I mean. It was, it was, (laughs) it was a miracle. Mm
7: -hmm. It was really
6: a miracle. Mm -hmm. Like it really felt like the lights were turned on. The lights were turned on and it was joyous. Absolutely. And honestly, I'm really grateful that, that I've had my journey with alcohol and drugs, that Mm -hmm. I've had my journey with addiction. I'm so grateful. Because for so long it really helped, it helped keep me alive. It helped keep me alive, uh, because had I not had it, I might, I, I might have not to say that active addiction and, and people at the far end of the spectrum, as far as addiction is concerned, isn't a risky, life-threatening thing absolutely for many of us it's it's sl- a slow killing of yourself
7: mm.
6: for others it's it can be more quick and immediate immediate but i know for me it was my solution for a long time until it wasn't anymore yeah. um, i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine drinking and drugging another day but i also couldn't imagine not doing it <laughs> at the same time so you're at that really strange place jumping off point right mm-hmm. where you either stay where you are and go back or you jump off into this unknown space uh and try something new but it takes a a, a some some level of awareness that that something is off something is not right i'm not living a life that feels good anymore yeah. um, th- not living a life that's that's balanced, not living a life that's healthy or or joyous, for lack of a better word.
5: Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm also noticing that when you come into that space, especially because you shared that this process, this addiction went on from, I believe, like right around 16 for 10 years or more.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: Did feel, yeah. So... When you, when you committed to your sobriety and you began that path of, of knowing there is need to change my life, mm-hmm. how did it feel to begin to get to know yourself for really the first time as an adult?
2: Because that had to have
5: been such a process of discovering yourself, discovering your body, your thoughts, your feelings, your likes, your dislikes without yeah. that filter.
6: Yeah. Interesting that you say that you, thank you for that question. It's great. I want to add one thing is I've talked a lot about alcohol and drugs, but the first thing for me was food. Wow. When okay. I was a kid, um, disordered eating was, was something that I did to help me deal with the discomfort that I was in. Um, my relationship to food was not, was not healthy. Uh, but I just so I just wanted to, to to put that out there, but your question was, what was it like for me to to go from being an active addiction to moving into recovery and and getting to know myself mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In that process It
7: was <laughs> It was many things. <laughs> It was many things. There were
6: some aspects of about it, about it that were difficult for sure, but there were also aspects of it that were magical, uh, getting to know myself without this veil Mm. that, that rested on Mm. every part of my body (laughs) and my, my mind and my heart, uh, it's definitely a journey of self-discovery. learning how to live life on life's terms. Mm. Because I could play, before that, I could play with life in interesting ways through chemicals, right mm. and through mood and mind-altering things. If I didn't like how I was feeling in a certain circumstance, I can always change that. By taking a drink or doing a drug or smoking a cigarette. Sometimes even by having sex, I could change that. Yeah. But when you, when you enter recovery, you begin a process of of responding to life in a different way. And so there were times that felt like they were full of wonder and awe because I was, I was having these experiences that were like so revelatory for me. Um, And if I could think of one in particular, uh, for instance, doing things in life in my adulthood that I would normally do under the influence, but suddenly doing it without was really a new experience for me. I could give you one thing. When I lived in New York, this is, I, you know, I was, my, I was in my 20s back uh, in the 90s and rollerblading was in <laughs> and everybody was rollerblading up and down the West Side Highway. And I remember for years, I would love to rollerblade and get high and rollerblade and, and just stroll around the city in that way. And when I got sober... I got to experience those things, without, without that yeah. that um, that elixir, or that way for me to that alter the way that I engage with the world. Um, when I used it, helped me to be more out in the world because, mm-hmm. I, essentially, I'm a, I'm a very shy, introverted person, and when I used it, helped. Bring me out, push me out into the world. And so, just getting used to being uh, connected to people, having relationships with people, having conversations with people in social settings,
7: mm-hmm.
6: and just truly being myself, unadulterated Stephen, that was revelatory for me. And it helped me by having examples. Given by other people who were doing the same thing, and me being able to watch them navigate those simple things in life. I feel like the things I'm talking about are really mundane, or really um, things that we take for granted, these actions or these activities that I'm describing. But for me, they were challenging to do. Yes. And so that was one of the things that that opened up for me when i first got sober and then also just my feelings i was starting to feel started to feel and my feelings honestly debbie my feelings scared me
5: yeah yeah
6: um some t- i felt like initially when i was first starting this journey i i was afraid to feel my feelings fully and and i remember my friend who was also my sponsor at the time he, he just would reassure me that no matter what feeling would come up, that I was going to be okay, mm. that my feelings weren't going to kill me and that my feelings weren't necessarily factual. They may be happening in the moment, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, um, what's underneath them is, is factual. Like yeah. I, I say that in reference to fear, it's, it's. We can all be fearful of certain things, but what we're fearful of and the fear that we're feeling aren't necessarily based in, in reality of what's happening in the moment, right? Especially yeah. for those of us with, with very sensitive nervous systems, right? Where we easily can switch on to a fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. I just learned that I didn't have to be afraid of my feelings and that I can walk through difficult feelings. And even joyous feelings as well, because that was also kind of scary, too.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you have to clear the shadow to make space for the joy, to be yeah. even able to feel safe in that feeling. at and
0: connects an ode to podcast.
3: Go to Nix.com. That's K-N-I-X dot com.
8: Your perfect home, sweet
4: home.
5: You know how they say, you know, all feelings are valid. Yes, Mm -hmm. all feelings are valid because they are being felt by you and your individual experience and the way that you know yourself and your feelings. But all feelings are not real and they're not true. You know, you can be feeling something that is actually untrue. And it doesn't mean to invalidate your experience. The feeling is what is real inside of you, Mm -hmm. but where it stems from and the power it holds, that's what we have to investigate when we're doing Mm -hmm. some of that, some of that work. Yes. Um, You know, so, wow, what a journey, you know, what a journey, what a beautiful journey you've been on and what a deep, uh, embodied knowing of what that entire experience has been like. And I, something that I think that I love the way that you're expressing your path. And I think that this is so powerful. And I want to directly speak to listeners right now and knowing as you think of soul work to do around this episode or any potential journaling that you may do This is the way that Stephen is expressing his experience is what it really is to be embodied in your healing. It takes it the step past the awareness or the identifying that there is something wrong and it's being able to look at all the facets of how something affected you. And I found for me in my life, like the sweet spot starts to come when I've moved past some of those bigger moments and I'm able to notice myself in those soft moments or in what someone else may deem as, you know, you had said it doesn't seem like a big moment. And I'm like, no, yes, it does, you know, (laughs) to someone that that is also, you know, has has spent so much time doing that crevice work inside of themselves. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's beautiful. And the way that you're able, and I I want to reflect this back as everyone is listening. The way Stephen is sharing some of the more traumatic parts and life altering parts of what that long journey was, but from a place of neutrality, from a place of ease. You know, when I hear you speaking to it, there is not active charge and how you are resonating with those experiences. And it's just, it's so beautiful and it's so powerful. You know, how I'm, I'm so interested in how you came to find Qigong. How did that medicine, that beautiful um, ancient modality, cross your path? And how did you translate your movement as a dancer into working with that energy?
6: Mm, That's such a delicious question. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I was first exposed to Qigong when I entered traditional Chinese medicine school. Mm. So back in... I think it was 2013. Well, 2011 was when I decided that I wanted to go back to school and study Chinese medicine. Mm. And I'd worked really hard to to get into a school. I had to clean up a lot of the wreckage of my past in order to be able to get into a school. And so I, I finally achieved that. I moved to California to do to do that, and I entered the program which was very exciting and also terrifying at the same time. Mm. And it was an interesting experience because shortly after I began the program, I started to feel fear. I started to feel fear and a lot of old stories came to mind and that things started to bubble up to the surface. So I was very much in crisis when I first entered that program. And luckily, what happened for me was Qigong was part of the program, was part of the curriculum. And it Mm -hmm. helped me to deal with the fear Mm -hmm. and and, the, there were so many things that were coming up for me. Fear, uh, shame, uh, worry, anxiety. I was having panic attacks. You name it, I was having, I couldn't sleep at night, couldn't concentrate. And once Qigong was introduced to me, I was able to take that movement practice, that mindful movement practice, and allow it to do what it does, which is healing. It helps to to move stuck energy in the body. Mm. That can be pain or tension in your body, but that can also be emotional energy that's stuck and also mental energy that's that's uh, stuck or overactive, yeah. And just to bring balance, I desperately needed it. So between the movements and and breath is a very important part of qigong, uh, and also focused intention. Mm. It shifted everything for me. It provided mm. so much peace. It got my it, qigong gets my mind unstuck right? It gives me space. It gives me space in my body, but it also gives me space in my heart and in my mind.
7: Mm.
6: When the practice was first introduced to me, I was able to really work with the medicine to get to a place where I was able to pull out of the panic, pull out of the worry, pull pull out of the fear and just discover, okay, Stephen, what's true for you? What's yeah. really true for you? What is it that you want out of this experience? And I, I, I came to a very difficult at first realization was that I didn't want to be a Chinese medicine doctor.
7: Mm. I was
6: so sure that that's what I wanted to do. And I was so caught up in this idea of, well, I've made that decision, I can't change my mind. You can't change your mind. If you make a decision, you just have to do, follow through. What are people gonna think if you change your mind? All these things. Qigong helped me to just l- let all that fall away and come to a point of peace and surrender. And it also helped me to focus. I was only in the program for a semester and by the end of that semester I was kicking ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I still knew that that it, was, that it wasn't what I wanted to do.
7: Yeah. And I was yeah. I
6: made peace with that. Yeah. So that whole process and within that process, I was this close to relapsing because I was feeling so much and I didn't know how to deal with it. And, and I was very afraid that I was going to lose my sobriety over it. Wow. So the, the, the Qigong, along with all the other things that I was doing, changed everything for me. And it told me that this is something that's going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. Mm. And it's something that I want to share with others because it's powerful medicine and the medicine lives within each and every one of us. It's there, it's available. We just, we just uh, need to learn a little bit about our energy and how to be yeah. mindful of it and, and, and gain some skill around how to manage our energy
7: Yes. and how yes. to cultivate
6: it and how to release what no longer serves us.
7: Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
6: So that was the beginning of my Chicoan journey.
5: We have all the tools, right? Everything Mm -hmm. is already within us. It's just lying dormant until we're able to activate it or clear enough away from its path for it to emerge. Mm -hmm. Mm.
7: Wow.
5: Mm -hmm. What are you hoping people take away from this book? Where are you hoping it allows them to go on their journey?
6: Yeah. Well, I hope that people what people get from this book is a sense that they're not alone. Mm. That whatever it is that they're going through, whatever challenges that they're facing, that they're not alone.
7: I also hmm, I also want people to
6: to know that they are worthy
7: mm. of
6: change, recovery transformation because I think there's an element, at least for me, there's an element of feeling that a better life, uh, that, that a, a, a new level of healing wasn't available to me because of shame or yes. some sense of yes. not being worthy. And also I, would, I want people to get a series of tools, a basket, a recovery toolbox, I like to call it in the book, of tools that they can use to help themselves live a better life, a more conscious and joyous life, whatever that
7: looks like for them. Mm. Ah, Everyone, do
5: yourself a favor. Get this book. And I have a feeling that some listening, there's somebody in your life you've earmarked as this book could be really, really rev- revelatory. And so everything will be linked, um, as always, beneath in the summary. So if you're listening on your podcast, if you scroll down to the summary, there'll be a link. Click it. You'll be able to get the book straight directly there. And Stephen, how can people connect with you and how can they join you in Qigong?
6: Yes. So people can connect with me at StevenWashingtonExperience.com. That is my website, and there you'll see that I also have a membership community uh, where I teach a Pilates Qigong fusion class, and I also create other content for that community. And you'll also be able to buy my book there. You can get it in paperback, ebook, uh, also audiobook as well, and you'll also find all my online courses that I teach uh, that are available to everyone. So there's a lot there. So stephenwashingtonexperience.com.
5: And I'm still dying, and I'm going to have to text you about this off off (laughs) interview because I'm still dying to take a one-on-one class with you. Um, Pilates changed my life, and it was such a huge activator in my personal journey of learning how to be in my body. It was my – I didn't initially connect to yoga um, I do now gratefully, but my first pathway was actually um Joseph Pilates, his system of, I believe to be a system of awakening um that he shared. and it Absolutely. it's so funny because I think a lot of people hear about Pilates from the much more privileged perspective of it being very often a very expensive class to take. and you typically,
7: mm-hmm.
5: you know it it's been portrayed and kind of stereotyped as being something that's Luxury, maybe for white women, and you know, maybe you know, if you have the freedom to do it, like it's just trendy, but it is a Mm -hmm. powerful tool of awakening. It teaches you how to know your body like nothing I've ever known. It teaches you how to feel parts of your body that you didn't know existed. Um, it was just, it was one of the most beautiful tools I put in my toolbox in my journey. And then that mixed with Qigong, I'm just, I can't wait till I get to get in front of you and get all of that medicine and magic.
7: Mm. Well, I can't wait to share that with you.
5: Thank you so much for joining us on Dropping Gems. Thank you for writing this book. Once again, everyone, Recovering You, Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction by Stephen Washington. So grateful for your time.
6: Thank you for having me. And so good to lay my eyes on you.
5: I
7: know. And I'm (laughs) so
5: I know. So good. So good.
6: Uh,
5: Thank you, my friends. Thank you. Another big thank you for joining us on this very beautiful episode. Once again, Stephen's book, it's available November 15th. 2022. So, very, very soon. And at post time of recording this episode. And of course, his book is called Recovering You Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction. And in this book, you know, he shares his story as well as a wide variety of tools that are designed to help readers more intimately connect themselves with their lives. So there's a lot of incredible practices in there, reflections, movement. Uh, Definitely check that out. Share this episode with a friend. If you feel so called, give us a five-star review, write a little review. Big gratitude for everyone that has taken time to do that. I had a chance to catch up and read so many and uh, deeply blessed with me. So grateful to be able to be here and grateful to keep going. All right. Until next time, peace. Hey, find me on social. Let's connect. At Debbie Brown, that's Twitter and Instagram, or go to my website, DebbieBrown.com. And if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And send this episode to a friend. Dropping Gems is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. It's produced by Jack Please and me, Debbie Brown. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
3: AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the
9: snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. any disease.